Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 256. And in today's episode, I am going to combine some troubleshooting questions that I've gotten here recently into a, a single topic that I just want to talk about, and that's basic obedience. And so usually when you say that to people, their eyes glaze over a little bit. It's like, oh, not that. It's like, I, I'm, always, I'm so far past that. You know, I want to know something way more advanced and stuff. And, and, and no matter where you are or what you're doing, or if you're just thinking about getting a dog, or you have a little dog, or you have a big fancy dog, the basic obedience is always the place to everything emanates from. Whether you agree or believe it or found that to be true, it's still what I've seen where everything emanates from. And I'm going to talk about first what basic obedience is and how it fits into puppies and more mature dogs and very trained dogs. Because when you, when you say basic obedience to most people, I think what goes through their mind is they're on a leash and they're healing and sitting and staying and coming and all, you know, that's what basic obedience is when the dog does what you tell it, uh, particularly the way you were trained and so you can walk around on your leash and then all that. And that's what basic obedience is and, and that's a, a manifestation of working with basic obedience, but I'm going to talk about what it really is. There are a lot of interesting um, concepts and ideas about what training a dog is. And over a long period of time, I started, I started training dogs formally and competing when I was 10. So there were like still dinosaurs around at that time. And, and at 10 and with the obedience people and, you know, I learned all the, all the way up to the utility level. I learned all the stuff that you do and what you go through and we approached most of every dog always the same way. I had a dachshund way long time ago as a kid. I had a Doberman Pitcher, German Shepherds, had a little beagle looking cross thing that I did in 4-H. Um, did all those dogs and, and fundamentally approached them the same way. And it was more effective with one than the other. So my assumption was that that was a better dog than the other. So now after training, I don't know how many dogs over all these years, and especially when they were no longer my own, so I had this real personal connection. But when I started training other people's dogs, so I had to actually be very effective. <laughs> when you take somebody's money, you have to get the job done or don't take their money. And so I took that very seriously. And I learned something, particularly more towards the advanced times, when people would just send me a dog from across the country, They'd never met me. There's a lot of people whose dogs I've trained, I've never personally met them. So they just sent the dog to me because of what they'd heard and the reputation and whatever, and they sent it to me. And then I needed to get the job done, assuming it was a doable job. And most of the time it was, but not always, not always. And you have to learn the difference between a dog that actually isn't going, doesn't want to be trained, and a dog that is just hard for you in particular to train. So that was, that's been a big learning curve for me also. And I, I actually, I've said this before, I, I learned this from my two kids, because I, I do not have this, but both of my kids were ADHD. 
uh, and I had nobody in my family was at least that we knew, and it, and, the, and then here's this phenomena that's going on with these kids that are real smart and can do anything they want, but they're not doing well in school and just all kinds of um, <laughs> all kinds of interesting things that I did not understand. And so I thought, well, maybe I don't, you know, I don't get, I, they aren't the way I thought. I was very confused. And it was them who actually taught me that the way that they would do well in the educational system and the life system and the social system was different from anything that I was familiar with, that my own personal experience, what I grew up with, my friends when I grew up, it was very different. The way that they interact with information and thoughts and themselves in the world was very different. And so they actually taught me a lot about that. And that's when I realized that with animals, it's the same way. It's not like we have the dog butt. And all you have to do, okay, we're going to teach it obedience, so let's get out our leash and our choke chain, and we're going to do this. That you need to understand the nature of your student the best that you can and understand that it may not be what you think it should be or what your last dog or two dogs or four dogs were. That all of the stuff that I'm going to talk about with basic obedience is one thing, and how it applies to your student is what is variable. And so, and I'll try to give a few examples if, if people, that doesn't make sense to people. Because it's not like, I remember somebody said one time, oh, it's a, they're all the same, it's just a different paint job on them. And that's not true of people, and it's not true of any living thing as far as I can tell, and it's certainly not of dogs. So, one, let's talk about what is basic obedience. So, in my mind, in training dogs for a lot of things, and having my own personal dogs, and doing this just basically every day of my life, basic obedience is the nature of the relationship between you. And it shows up in a variety of ways. Where we teach what the basic relationship between us is going to be is on the very simple things on a leash, walking with me, healing, sitting, coming when I call, healing around in a position. You know, if you're into the lay down thing, you know, there's places where that's very appropriate. That's where you teach certain responses that you need to succeed, one, in daily life, going to the vet, walking down the street, or to build upon to do the more competitive things, whether it's the advanced obedience stuff, some of that agility stuff, and for most people listening to this, the advanced field work. And all of that is premised off the fundamentals of strong relationship between you and your dog. Your dog understanding that you're going to teach some things, that they are always in ultimately in the dog's best interest. You're not just mean. And that together with these things, you guys live life together. You live life, you know, walking down the street taking your dog for a walk or going for a hunt or running competitive events. That's what this is all about. So it's a little bit easier to understand that when you're, we're talking about basic obedience, we're talking about the relationship we have. And the relationship generally most of us want to have is one of mutual respect, not to be, I'm going to browbeat this dog into it no matter what. You know, nobody wants to be that dog. And so don't be that trainer if you can. 
So we're not, we don't want to browbeat them into it. We want to teach them, make sure they understand. Then we're going to teach them that it's very serious. And that when we do say sit or hear or whatever, that it is to be taken seriously the first time. As with anything else, if you teach them, you know, I'll say sit four or five times. And when you finally hear it enough, maybe you'll decide to do it. It's the same thing as having kids and teaching them, well, you should come home on time every day and don't go out and party with everybody. Um, but if you don't, I'll just call you and call you till you do come home. You're not going to gain a lot of ground. And there's certainly no respect-based thing there. Did not say fear, said respect. No respect-based thing. And things, animals in their natural uh, world either have respect for something or do not. And for the things for which they have no respect, you know, they pee on them, they eat them, they beat them up, they ignore them. And the things that they do respect, they are careful of, they are aware of, they respond to, and they're not really going to push the buttons right there too much. And the, so the relationship that I would hope we all want to have with our dogs is one where there is, and I'm going to say a mutual respect, but not an equal, because we are the humans and they're the the dog and they're not telling us to heal and sit although I do <laughs> see that quite a bit we're going to teach them that we're going to you're going to walk on a leash t next to me at my speed in my direction the way that I want you're not going to make it unpleasant for me and when I say sit you're going to sit I'm going to teach you that the word sit means to sit and that right there is often the hardest thing for many people to do because they just feel like they're being, you know, a marine colonel or something. And that, that's all you're doing is going into the dog's world in a way that they understand, in a way that they interact with one another. And you're operating on a level that they completely understand. So basic obedience is teaching the dog when I say something, when I ask something. I'll be real clear. I won't have big paragraphs, long phrases. I won't say it 50 times. I won't have a whole bunch of other words. I'll try to. I will have extreme clarity out of respect for you, animal. I will make sure you understand exactly what I'm saying. So when I say the word sit, your bottom goes down and that's that. And that's what you teach. And you don't teach it passively. Tell them sit, push your bottom down, they get back up, push it, tell them sit, push it down. Always do all the work for them. Say it over and over, figuring they'll finally associate the act with the word. That's very passive, and that is not how dogs learn things in their world. Um, that's not how mom teaches them, don't bite me in the ear, you know, by anything passive. they like, don't bite me in the ear. And if you can approach your dog that way, I'm going to tell you to sit, and then you're going to sit. You have the ability to enforce the sit so that when you say something, it's important. And that's why you don't want to talk a lot and make a lot of noise, because then you become noise, and there is no clarity. And you cannot have that complete understanding and response to what you're talking about without mental clarity. And not your mental clarity their mental clarity. Very, very important. And the same thing with heel. I always ask people when I work with them, when they're, you know, and their dog does obedience. I say, okay, what does heel mean when you say it to the dog? And always people will fumble with that. 
because what it means is I'm going to say that when you're at my side and then I want you to do, they have this kind of fuzzy thing. So if you're going to communicate anything to a dog, a puppy, a, a older dog, make sure that it is crystal clear to the dog what you're asking. And that means it has to be crystal clear in your mind. So what I always tell people, right, if you're going to say heal, for me, heal means be at my side. Does it right side or left side? Not, oh, choose any side. Don't, no vagueness. Have a side that you like your dog on. And so when I say heal to a dog, it means be at my left side. That's all it means. However, it means be at my left side if I am just standing here and I say heal, come over here to my left side. If I'm walking forward, it means walk with me at my left side. If I'm kind of doing a big U-turn, it means stay at my left side. If I'm going backwards, it means stay at my left side. And then I teach that. And it becomes very clear in their mind. Heal, when you say it the first time, they know exactly what you want. Whether you're moving, not moving, leash is on, leash is off, whatever. They know what that means. That makes basic obedience much easier to establish and also makes it real and then the same thing with here or whatever you call it come whatever it is that means come to me and again we want extreme clarity so that means you have to give them a finish to it which I've said before in recent podcasts so they're either going to come and heal next to your side and sit down or they're going to come sit in front of you but make sure that this in a dog mind which is not like yours or mine that there is extreme clarity. So that's the first thing that you teach. But teaching is not enough. And that's a little bit of the problem with basic obedience that really affects dogs later on that are further along in training. So you have to teach. Now, when you have a little 12-week-old dog, all right, there isn't enough mental stuff going on there that you can teach and then enforce and then test and then find out. You're just in the teaching stage, but when they get around eh, like five months, six, okay, now we've taught what sit and heal and come to me means. Now you have to transfer the responsibility for acting on what you're saying to the dog. And by that I mean when you're teaching a dog, let's say, to walk at your side and sit down when you stop. At first, you just have them on the leash, so you can require that they walk at your side, and then you're right there to push their bottom down and require that they sit. When they know what that is, if you're still pulling on the leash and pushing down the bottom, then you are the one that's carrying out <laughs> the task, and they're just being acted upon. And that is not basic obedience. Basic is obedience is you transferring the response to them. And that the first thing you have to do is have that thought in your head and be aware of that. And then, depending on your dog, there's a variety of ways to do that. Usually, enforcement of sit is no longer your personal contact because that's fun. They like that. You know, the, your hand pushing their bottom down, that's good. And then on a leash, it's real easy if you're just lugging them around because they'll be right there with you and you're doing all the work and just lugging them around. Now we're going to have to get it where they're doing it and it's, it's not an instantaneous transfer, and there's no punishment, and there's no correction in any of this. But it is a transfer of responsibility 
So let's just use the word sit. I'll use that one. So once the dog knows to sit, I'm going to change from pushing their bottom down and pulling up on the leash, which is tr conventionally how we do it. And no, I'm not going to have a treat. Ask them to do it for food. I do not want food to be the most important thing in my life or their life. So I'm going to use, that's when I use my little plastic wiffle bat. Shoot, I'll use a stick off of a tree and I'll do a little pop, not a, I'm not pounding on the dog, a little pop on that bottom. So it's not me touching them anymore. It's an inanimate object that's enforcing that sit. And so now, now, of course, that can be very upsetting. They're like, oh my goodness, what was that? It's like, don't, it's like, it's a different thing. You're still going to sit. You just move past that. If, you know, if they're going, well, I don't know, well, I, I don't know what that is. I am, I'm confused. Go, I, you know, just still, I understand you're confused. Just sit. That'll be the answer. Because ultimately you need to teach this dog that when you say something, there are no uh, intermediate thoughts. They just need to sit. And you want that kind of clarity. So you enforce with a little enforcement on the bottom or whatever way works for you. Again, if it's physical contact, they'll make you do that over and over because they like it. So now we're going to enforce sit. And then at whatever level, when the dog is accustomed to having some enforcement, and they do need to be a little bit accustomed to it, um, now we're going we're gonna to make sure that they understand it's their job. So whatever level of little pop on the bottom that you used, you don't just keep doing it over and over and over again. You do it a couple times until they are making effort to carry out the sit without you enforcing that's the goal. That right there is the goal. So when they understand that little pop on the bottom, that if they sit down, make a good effort to sit down, not a halfway effort, but make a good effort, then there will be no enforcement because there would be no reason for it. So your level of enforcement is totally dependent on that dog's response to the enforcement pressure. You know, if it takes very little, great. If it takes a little more, which sometimes it does, they're, they're just like, I, you know, I'd really rather not sit. You have to enforce at a level that they go, you know, I'll just sit. That's good. So we're going to teach the dog to take the responsibility to sit. And similarly, you teach the dog to take the responsibility for healing, for walking with you, for when coming, with, coming when called. And all of that is just leash enforcement. And in my world, not flat collar leash enforcement because that's just a tug of war. It's just that, that, and I don't use the prong collar because that hurts a little bit too much. And I don't want to, I don't want that much leverage. I want to have to use my choke chain and just a real quick impulse on that, as long as it's put on correctly, that they don't want to have again. And so they're going to heal with me and they're going to come when I call them and et cetera, et cetera. And it goes on and on. So now we have a relationship where you have, that dog can trust you because there is extreme clarity in what you communicate. You do not talk too much. You do not enforce too much. You do not complicate things. And the dog always understands exactly what you're asking because you understand exactly what you're asking. And then you teach them, it's your job to do it. I'm not going to do it for you through a level of enforcement that they go, you don't have to do that anymore. I'm going to do exactly what you say. Now, it is that level of response in the dog that you need for all of the advanced things. For one, on, on you guys with young dogs, it's so much easier if you never teach a dog, oh, ignore me. I make a lot of noise. 
I'll say something over and over again. If you kind of resist, I'll just give up. Don't teach them any of that. Just work with a young dog. Work with it for two or three minutes, maybe. And just make sure that it does things exactly the way you ask, because you can make sure it does. And then as they proceed through training, the relationship between the two of you is always clearly understood and is always one of respect and always is one where they're the ones doing the learning. And then they get to do all the fun stuff. You want to keep that going and going. So now let's go to the more advanced dogs. So now we have dogs. We're, let's talk about running multiple marks, steadying an upland field, handling running blinds. And then you have problems. A lot of problems I hear about right now are dogs that are setting birds down coming back. That is not a force fetch problem. And people, that is not a fetch problem. If your dog sets a bird down, I wouldn't say fetch. Because again, what are they not doing? They are not coming to you. So you have a basic obedience here problem when a dog is slowing down or setting down a bird. Diagnose it correctly. And then go back to your basic obedience and make sure they understand that when you say here, it, that means you really do need to come in. You really, really do. And you use whatever level of enforcement, never when they're carrying something in their mouth, please, please, use an enforcement so that they're like, man, when, when he calls me or she calls me, I'm coming. So most problems that people have, let's say, let's say dogs that won't take the cast. You know, I always hear that. No, they, I got three whistles, and after that, they don't sit or they don't listen anymore. Once again, that is a, a symptom, a manifestation of the relationship between the two of you. And it's a basic lack of respect. It is not them giving you the finger. It, that is not what they do. Nobody wants to go out there and get in trouble. There isn't a dog that is going out there and is going to make you mad and get in trouble. Although that's nice and easy to think about because then you can get mad back and you can punish them and then it's never going to get better. When a dog is going out there and not sitting when you ask or not at least giving the best effort to take the cast that you give, there is a reason for that. And it could be that they don't respect you enough to continue to try to do what you ask because you've let them get away with certain things in other areas that you may not relate to running blinds, but they relate to your relationship. And so they do that. It may be confusion. I had one recently where somebody was, has a dog that's fairly new to running blinds and was ca uh, stopping the dog before the dog could actually in its own mind commit to a direction. You know, it might turn a certain way and look like it was going to go too far one way or the other, so it would be stopped again. And so because of the lack of understanding of where the dog was, the person was confusing the dog, and then the dog would stop making effort. That's not a bad dog. That's a dog that was trying to decide which way to go, and before it even did that, it was already stopped again. There's nothing that dog could do to win in that situation. There's nothing that dog could do to to get out of any kind of trouble. So again, understanding your dog and not just looking at them like it's a dog bot. Well, I blew the whistle and I cast to the left. It should have gone to the left. It Maybe. And maybe there's some confusion in there because of the way the dog is thinking. And you have to, like I said, I learned that from my kids. They all do not think the same. They all do not think at the same rate. 
they don't think the way maybe you do. And so as a trainer, you have to be able to simplify these things and break it down to the little pieces that it is and try and look at it. I, that, the one I just described on the blind thing, that's a hard one for somebody new. You know, you're handling too fast because normally you get after new people because, well, you need to handle. You let them go too far, wrong, too long, and then you're sending them the wrong signal, which is true. But at the same time, when you cast with a dog, it has to noodle stuff out because they're not geometric. You have it up 20 degrees to your left. They're not going to automatically turn 20 degrees because they got a whole lot more going on. They got the terrain, they got the wind, they got the cover, they got a lot of other factors that they're incorporating into that 20 degree to the left cast. And sometimes they got to think it out just a little bit. Try and notice things like that. You know, try, try to understand how that dog is thinking about this because they are out there thinking about this. They're not a dog bot. So they're going out there, they have a, an idea in their mind what they're doing. If you've done your basics, right? They have an idea. And then when you're going to stop them, you're telling them, okay, you need to change something. Okay, that's a big deal. I know people just think it's like a etch sketch Okay, now I'm going to change this direction. But you just told that dog who had this idea in their mind, no, I'm going to change your direction a little bit. Okay, for one, you know, what does that mean to them? Are they afraid now? Is this trouble? Do they get in trouble when this happens? Are they now more worried about what you're going to do than they are about which direction to go? When you cast them, have you taken all the factors into account? Suction of something, an old mark, the wind, the, the terrain, water, whatever it is. There's a lot to think about. So the more when you're working the more advanced dogs, you can be aware of where they are in their head. That's number one. Then number two is... They do need to have respect for you. So at least give it a good effort to do what I'm asking. However, at the more advanced stages, it gets a little harder it's, to tell whether the dog is just not taking you seriously or whether you've confused the dog. But you have to have, no matter what, two things. You've got to have your basic obedience. That is, when they know that when you blow the sit whistle, they have to stop. If you don't have that, Okay, then everything else is kind of out the window. So sit needs to mean sit. Whether it's a leash at, on the leash beside you or it's at 180 yards out there. Sit needs to mean sit. That's basic obedience, folks. So if you don't have that, don't get mad about all the other stuff. Go back and get your basic obedience. The dog has to, just like on a leash, do its best to honor what, you, what you've asked. And if they don't, it's probably because of something you've done. And you've not paid attention to the basic obedience and the nature of the relationship. You're caught up more in the big picture of what you're doing. So uh, most problems on the more advanced dogs still come down to basic obedience, which does not mean go back to on the leash and re or, you know, and people with electric collars leash and electric collar, and I'm going to go back in there and really enforce and really perhaps if you've been very loose on them. And let me, if, if you've gotten loose, so their basic obedience is loose, and then they go pay for that, what do you think that does to the trust in you thing? The belief that working with you is a big deal. So when you have a basic obedience issue, sit there and define what you have done 
that has created that problem, assuming you had it at some point you had good basic obedience. And even if you hadn't, go back and get it now on the simple stuff on a leash. And go back, instead of punishing your dog because you let him get real loose, so now you're going to punish him to get him all tightened up again? Again, how would that work with you? You would not care for the person or, or trust. You would, there would just be an element of trust that was not there. And so go back and reteach and rework on and then reinforce and then kind of get that respect thing going again on the most simple, basic, fundamental things, not out in the field. And then carry that relationship back out there and hold your standard on that stuff. I, I hope that makes sense because it's always going to be you who's created the problem. And it may be not in like you're bad or stupid or anything like that. It may be that you were just so caught up in one thing that you let some other things slip. And so they're slipping on the dog and they're merely highlighting to you what's happened. It could be that. Or it could be that the way that they think and the way they're processing this and what they're doing is different from your perception of it. At least give that a thought. Again, remember, they're not out there sticking it to you. They just aren't doing that. But they are out there reflecting the relationship you have. And you've got to, f to get some good help or look at that a little way, a little, a little different way. And understand that they actually would like to do well. Assuming they like to do what you're doing, they would like to do well. And they would like a lot of clarity. Dogs love clarity, just like people. If somebody's teaching you something and it is very clear to you, that's a much better feeling than if it's kind of, I kind of get it. I, oh, well, I'll figure it out later. And that's not nearly as nice as knowing exactly as much clarity as possible. So all things are basic obedience in a sense of that being the relationship between the two of you and just heel sitting here are just ways to work on it and manifest that and create the understanding and the clarity between you. And then you can extrapolate that to many other things. Um, but you need to understand what you're doing and what that is and what, that that's all real basic obedience. So all, all issues with dogs, assuming they're not nuts so crazy or not well or, or in pain or something like that, all come back to this very thing. And it's not always, well, if my obedience isn't good, I'm going to go back and pound on them. Um, because if you have to go back and pound on them, pound on you too because you let that happen. And be uh, aware of what it is you're communicating to your dog. They are not a dog bite. You know, if you just go out and just start getting all tough on them, that's very deflating. You may see a dog then that loses interest or loses willingness to work with you because they don't know what happened. You were just mad. And then they kind of suffered a little bit, and there's, there's nothing more deflating than that. So at least give the basic obedience thing some thought. I don't care whether it's a little teeny tiny puppy or, you know, your six-year-old field champion. It still all comes down to that. They're still human and they're not but you know what I mean we're all human we make mistakes we get we're different we have different ways of doing things and and we would like people to understand that about us again my kids stopped me you know what worked for me absolutely didn't even apply to them and so it was very enlightening to see how people learned in a whole different way than I even knew existed and I have found that to be true in our animals so 
find the key to your dog, teach, enforce, have that mutual respect going both ways. Don't ever lie to them, right? Don't ever punish them for because you look bad, and it happens a lot. Try to understand where they are and what you've done to create the situation that you have. And if you have a real good one and the dog is doing the work, then yay for you. You know, take a victory lap right there that you've got this right because that's the goal of all of us. But it still all comes back to basic obedience, which is, in fact, the relationship between the two of you. And the better that is and the more clarity you have on that, the more you can do with that if that's your goal. And the more enjoyable that animal is to have in your daily life. So that's kind of a big topic, kind of jammed up real quick. I hope, for, at least for some of you, a little bit food for thought. Um, and for the dogs, you know, man, they, they usually they're responding to you. And if they're getting funny and crazy, you know, take a real good look at what's happening. Or if you're just missing their mental boat, a lot of times it's that. And you got to try different stuff and you got to be aware of that. So that's today's hot, hot summer. I have watched, I got to say this on the safety thing. I have watched people out running. I'm glad that people running. That's good. Running is healthy. Running, I've seen people running with golden retrievers with those big, beautiful coats. And the dog is overheated. And they're just dragging the thing. I saw a guy dragging his pit bull yesterday. He was walking, and the pit bull just laid down in the shade on some grass when they got. And he just jerks that, you know, I'm, I'm not a big pit bull fan. But good Lord, the dog was just so hot. And he was just going to make sure that it kept going with him. So, man, there's a real safety issue. Uh, if you're going to do a lot of stuff with dogs, do it in the cool of the morning or evening or do it where they can get wet or do it short, but they're not you. You know, I, I want to take those guys with the golden retrievers, put on their winter coat and have them go do their five miles. Uh, you know, it, that's what that's like. So just be real cognizant of the very warm weather and our dogs. You know, by the time they tell you they're too hot, it could be a real trouble zone. So stay aware, aware of that. So that's it for this week. Wish everybody all the best in all the dog stuff. Uh, getting ready to go into the fall season here. And I hope everybody is thinking a lot about their dog training and staying safe and doing well. And I'll be back next week. <laughs>